Take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. All week I have been puzzling a deep theological question. Does the Holy Spirit support the braves? 26 years on from the last World Series victory, I have no doubt that many a prayer was tossed up to the heavens this week, and if you were among them, I am entirely sympathetic. The last time my beloved English soccer team Spurs won a national title, Dwight Eisenhower had just left the White House. (laughs) As any in-for-the-long-haul Braves fan can tell you, some loyalties are hard to shake, no matter how little those loyalties are rewarded with victory. And as much as it can feel like the Holy Spirit has been supporting the other side all this time, we pray all the same. So, well done, Atlanta. There must be a God after all. (laughs) Well, I don't actually believe that God answers our sports prayers. The fact that we pray them is revealing. For how true it is that oftentimes God is the name that we invoke when all other hope is lost. It's a kind of functional atheism, if you like, that takes God off the shelf only in times of real emergency. What our longings for divine intervention on behalf of our beloved sports team also reveals is our innate desire to thrive together, to be together, to see a bigger picture of what it means to be human. And there's so much that's good about that. It helps us learn to cheer one another on to strive alongside other people. We come together with friend and stranger. Perhaps you were there with the hundreds of thousands who lined the streets to see that high-speed procession of the Braves on Friday. Togetherness is a wonderful gift, and we have needed togetherness, especially in these past 18 to 19 months. We faced an almighty stress test of our own togetherness through the course of this pandemic, of course. We've been through our stages as a church of separation, true isolation and distancing to ways we've gathered on screens and then outside and then here in masks, almost but not quite yet back to normal. There are many, like each of you here in church today, who have returned to those pre-COVID church-going days. Others are waiting to come back when all of this is behind us, either because, for various reasons, it's not yet safe for them to return, or perhaps because masks are an impediment to worship for them. Or it might just be that church on the sofa with a warm cup of coffee is just too good to give up. And if you're watching just now with your coffee on the sofa, God bless you. I'm glad you're here. I believe there will be a moment when it really will feel like we're back together again. I believe with all my heart that this Christmas Eve, people will say, you know what, to the heck with it. I'm going to church. I'm going to sing the songs of the angels about this beloved child. We'll have Christmas after all. We'll make our way back 
to the kind of hope that we've given our lives to, the hope that expands our hearts. That we would be the same church that we were before this all started. Will your workplaces and your neighborhoods be the same as they were before? Will you be the same? I hope at least in part the answer to that question is no. For we will have grown. We will have learned. We will have changed. Perhaps we will have figured out how to be less busy. When was it that we started saying there's not enough time? When time has always been the same since the beginning of it. I hope that we might manage to achieve a greater balance between our striving to produce and advance and our needs that we have felt so keenly for community and relationship and Sabbath. The church has a pivotal role to play, particularly in this part of the world, in shaping the future of our common life. And here in this parish community, as we gathered around the promises and hope of the gospel, we have an opportunity to claim a kind of belonging that we believe will not only be a good for us, but for everyone. It is, after all, the mission of the church to reconcile all people to God and to one another. We are meant to be a people of a bigger vision, a more generous commonwealth. Well, that joy that we find in cheering on the Braves, hallelujah, that they won in the end. That joy that we find in meeting strangers on the street and watching our beloved team go by, that sense of belonging that enlarges our hearts also has a shadow side, if we're honest about it. A kind of tribalism that has the potential to blight our longings for communion should we let it. I've often thought of school boards as the sort of C-SPAN equivalent of public service. It's meant to be boring. The people could be entirely interesting themselves, but the subject matter should be fairly humdrum, supportive of people who know what they're doing in schools. What must it have been like for those who've served for years, perhaps even decades, to be recipients of anger that I am sure came from people who otherwise are kind and loving human beings who care for their neighbors. Or think of those scientists and what they've been through, public health professionals, who are made to look only at the data. It have been told in public hearings or online, we know where you live, we are coming from you, and yet we know that we are better than that, that that is not the way that we wish to be in communion with others, to think of another US president. We have to recover the better angels of our nature. Lest we build an entire political economy on enmity. Think of how quickly moral outrage is reached for as a ready-to-hand tool for how people seek to confront but not reconcile difference. And nobody is more wounded than the righteous victim. Nobody more immovable. Nobody more sure of the wrong-headedness of those who hold opposite views. On Wednesday, uh, uh, during this, sorry, last night, this week, we had a wonderful celebration of the youth of this community. Fifty to sixty of them will be confirmed this evening. 
And we got to hear last night something of their hopes as they seek to live out the baptismal promises that we all celebrate, that we all commit to. And I sometimes wonder when I listen to young people, particularly around the issue of climate change, perhaps the single biggest threat to our common life that there is, do they despair? Would they rather have the adults just get out of the way so they can get on with business? What kind of hope do they have in a future? For truly at the heart of that struggle in our failure to act in relation to climate change is that tension between our sense of our need for private well-being and the profound call for us to think of the common good. And all of this reaches to that sense of scarcity that we can so easily have. When we have that scarce mindset, we have no energy left to give to the common good. Our scriptures this morning remind us of where perhaps most of all that fear of scarcity comes from. Our sense that in the end we all will face our deaths. The people of ancient Israel faced death all the time, not only on a personal level, not with the medical advances that we enjoy today, but also as a people, no longer in their land, able to enjoy self-determination, no longer able to worship in their own temple. Could there ever be a point where they could fully prosper? It is therefore a profound theological statement that Isaiah offers, that God not merely comforts us on our way to our inevitable demise, but that God has in fact defeated death altogether. As Isaiah says, God will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Likewise, the revelation of John foretells of that new heavenly city where death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. Yet we know that that fear, that sense of scarcity around our mortality is not an abstract concept. It's a deeply personal feeling. In a short while, I will read the names of those who have died from this church over the past two years. In many ways, the list is too long, particularly if we think of those who are not able to be with loved ones, especially during the height of COVID. There we have a keen sense of there not being enough time. Oh Lord, give me one more day to hold their hand, to be by their side. We see that sense of the personal and the painful in the most poignant of gospel stories from John, in the literal unbinding of Lazarus as death is defeated. We hear that Jesus weeps along with Mary and Martha. And so as Lazarus makes his way out of the cave out of the tomb prefiguring Jesus' own resurrection, we see not only the living reality of God's dominion over death, but also a symbol of what we need to unbind ourselves from, from all that constrains us for that fuller vision of the hope that we find in Christ Jesus. But not even death can separate us from the love of God 
For this is the God, this is the love, this is the power of grace that invites us into that greater vision of human flourishing. For you and I are called to be saints, to be people in whom God is made more visible, trusting in the reality of that power of grace, thus able to name what binds us, so that we can be free to walk out into the world and help in the unbinding of others and commit ourselves to the common good, for there is always enough of God's grace, a love that will never run out. We are called to proclaim the heavenly city, a new heaven and a new earth, to comfort the troubled and at times to trouble the comfortable. There is a more expansive, more generous, more glorious vision of life together that our world needs to hear. It needs your voice, your hands your feet, your heart, your life is what Christ now has to proclaim Christ's gospel. I pray that when we come to that day, when we're finally together again in this place, we will indeed be changed to people with even deeper generosity. For the world needs more of you now, not less. It needs the full measure of your compassion the soothing balm of your forgiveness, the assurance of us, people who are marked by faith in a God whose boundless generosity toward all creation has the power to transform this world into the dream of belovedness and justice we know in Christ Jesus. So praise God for you. For every way your life says yes to the God who won't stop saying yes to you. We follow the one who is making all things new. May our lives and our life together sing a song then of the saints of God, patient and brave and true. Thanks be to God for that hope. Alleluia. Amen.